You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Just one more quick prayer request to let you guys know. Some of you may have seen us on Facebook. One of our uh, precious students from the neighborhood, from the Dream Campaign, got hit by a car in the neighborhood yesterday, Amir, and he's in the hospital. I think he's doing okay, last I heard, but we just want to pray for him. Little guy, he was here with us last Sunday in this very room, uh, and so... Uh, apparently in great spirits and he's okay, but just wanna pray for little Amir and just that all the neighborhood, uh, that they would see us as a blessing to them. I know that on Sunday mornings when they have a hard time getting out of their driveways because some of you park in front of them, we're not a blessing. So we remind you to not do that, but we wanna be a blessing to them. And so uh, just wanna pray for him and just the rest of the neighborhood. So keep doing that. Uh, December of 2017, something tragic took place. The uh, probable MVP of the first place team blew his ACL on a freak play, scored a touchdown, blew his ACL, and a city's hopes were dashed. My hopes were dashed (laughs) because I thought this might be the year, but alas, it wasn't. It was just a typical year for Philadelphia, but God was doing something and a complete reversal of everything that anybody could have ever expected, he raised up a man, Nicholas Foles, who, by the way, stinks for Jacksonville, which is why you should never get out of God's will and leave. But that's another story. So we limp into the playoffs. Last game of the season against the Dallas-hated Cowboys. We don't even score a point, lose zero to six. Game didn't matter, but we lose. We limp in, we face your Atlanta Falcons who had just blown the World Super Bowl the year before. You remember that, right? Um, So we face them. We are home and underdogs. That never happens. That's, That's never, you have home field advantage and you are underdogs. And we win, of course. Next week, the Minnesota Vikings who nobody really cares about anyway, but they're the, they're the favor. Come into our place again, smoke them. Move on to the Super Bowl against the evil empire and their quarterback, the Antichrist, the New England Patriots. <laughs> Nobody feels like we have a chance. We are for the first time in 10 years an underdog by this many points. No one believes in Nick Foles. No one believes in this team. Philly, Philly, all these amazing things. Super Bowl champions, a complete reversal of everything anyone could have ever expected. Never saw it coming. Not the way we would have drawn it out, right? When all seemed dark and tragic and hopeless, God took something evil, an ACL tear, the New England Patriots, and he made it, meant it for good. Now, in all seriousness, that's that's just a little intro, obviously. True, but an intro. (laughs) Life sometimes smacks you in the mouth. And you're, everything's great and the semester's going great and this relationship's going great and my job is going great and everything seems great and all of a sudden there's an ACL. And it's super easy in that moment to blame and question and God, where are you and why don't you answer and why did you allow this and what is not fair and we have all these questions and questions are good. But here's what we wanna get to. Sometimes... God is at work in our lives in the things that we would never choose, the backup quarterback, 
big time underdogs. He is at work in those things. We would never choose them, but he is using them and meaning them for our good. Not just to teach us. And I know that God's teaching us things all the time. I'm not downplaying this. But sometimes when we face stuff that we don't want, we're all like, what's God teaching you in this moment? I don't need to hear that in that moment, quite honestly. But what I need to hear is God has a plan for your life and it is good. That's what I need to hear. Even if it doesn't feel good. And that is the truth of the scripture. That God takes blown ACL and he means it for good. Because that's who God he is, kind of God he is. We're gonna start a new series today. And we've entitled it Meant for Good. Meant for Good. Uh, we are gonna study over the next six months, really it'll take us into summer, uh, the second half of the book of Genesis. We covered pretty much the first half a couple years ago and we looked at the life of Abraham and we're just gonna pick up right where we left off. And so if you are unfamiliar with Abraham, that series is online, you can go listen to it, kind of catch up on that. Uh, but we chose, me and Clint were trying to figure out, what are we gonna call the series? We can call it just Genesis, that's boring, but we're boring, me and you, so we can do that. So we're thinking about it and we're kinda, and all of a sudden this verse came to mind in Genesis 50. It's at the end of the book where Joseph, who has seen a train wreck of things happen to him, none of them his fault. None of them he would have chosen. One of the things is his, his brothers sold him off into slavery to be killed. And, and they've reconciled, and we'll see that story in a couple months. It's an awesome story, but... At the end, their dad has died and the brothers are now worried that Joseph is gonna take it out on them because daddy's gone now. And so this is what Joseph tells them. He says, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And it's this grand statement that yes, it was horrible, but this was for my good and for your good. And that's what we're gonna see throughout this book, not just for Joseph. We're gonna see guys make train wreck decisions, girls make train wreck decisions, things that are unfair, things that happen, just all sorts of things. And all through that, despite the things that no one would ever choose, God is meaning it and using it for good. And if he's doing it for them, he's still doing it for us, y'all. And I want us to find hope in the next six months, whether we're at the top of the mountain or at the bottom of the mountain right now, that God is at work and he has a plan for your life. And sometimes he uses the thing you want and sometimes he doesn't, but it all is for good. And we wanna be a people that can trust in the goodness of God. Is God good, y'all? Yes, he is. And so that's what we wanna come away with these next six months. And so here's what we're gonna do. My buddy from seminary was supposed to be here today. It's funny, he couldn't get through the storms. He plane canceled and I'm, I'm kinda glad because... Um, it's meant for good, right? It wasn't the plan. Because I'm, I was gonna break every, he works at Dallas Seminary where I went to school. He hadn't heard me preach in 15 years. And I'm gonna break all the rules they taught me in preaching today. And if he heard that, he'd go back and tell them and they'd probably get mad at me. And so they take my name off their website. So I'm, I'm glad he's not here. It's meant for good, right? He'll come in another time when I'm like preaching the Dallas way, right? But here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you the background of this story. Because what's great about y'all, what I love about this church, we have so many people that didn't grow up in church. And so when I say Abraham, you're thinking, yeah, Abraham Lincoln, great president. You have no clue who I'm talking about. And so that's awesome. Some of you are like, oh, that's bad. But that's great because you don't have any preconceived notions. So I can just kind of tell you what the scripture says and you don't have to have some like flanagraph picture in your back of your mind or something, okay? So we're gonna cover that just to get folks that aren't familiar with the Bible up to speed. But ultimately, I want you to see how this little story, and it's only a couple years in the history of Israel, but it's huge in regard to what God is doing just globally, 
right? This is a huge piece of what the scripture teaches about God's program. We often come to the Bible, this is what some of us do, especially in the South. We've got to read the Bible because I'm sinful and because I'm bad. And because I, it's like we have we a spiritual headache because we've sinned or something. And so we just have to go to the Bible and open it. And I flip it up and I'm, oh, I'm in uh, uh, Malachi. I don't even know who that is, but that's just a great verse. And we treat it like it's a Tylenol. The Bible is not a spiritual Tylenol. It is the story of what God is doing about a, a sinful uh, people and a perfect savior and a crushed enemy and a coming kingdom. That's the Bible. And this is one little piece about this, this passage about what God's doing. And I want you to understand what God's doing so you can think through the scripture. So it's not just a spiritual Tylenol, so it's I know the God of the universe through what he is doing. That's what the, the Bible is for. So we know God and his son, Jesus Christ, right? And so... First part, I'm just gonna kind of unpack that and then we'll jump into the first uh, narrative. It's, it's Genesis 25, we'll cover 19 to the end of the chapter and we'll kind of get introduced to this family that's a train wreck and you're gonna be like, wow, this sounds like my family. Good, that's the point. Okay, this is, that's who we, we're in this text, all right? So let me give you the big picture, how, where this fits. So the Bible starts Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. Everything's perfect, man and woman, perfect, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other. God gives them one rule, do not eat that one tree. They eat the one tree. Train wrecks the whole creation. Sin enters into creation, enters into man, and the wages of sin is death. But see, even that was meant for good. Because God, before the foundation of the earth, had preordained that one day he would send his son to redeem man. He knew that before he even spoke Genesis 1-1 because it was meant for good. And so he makes a promise in Genesis 3, right after man and women failed. He says, one day, the seed of a woman, not the seed of a man is the usual language, the seed of a woman, i.e. Mary, would crush the head of the serpent. The serpent's gonna bruise him on his heel but he's gonna crush the serpent on his head. It's the first promise that one day, it's gonna be thousands of years, but one day there's gonna be one who come who will crush our enemy, death and Satan. That's God's program. And so we have several thousand years, man train wrecks creation, keeps rebelling against God. He sends a flood. He saves one guy and his family. His name's Noah. He's a great dude. He likes wine a little bit too much, but other than that, he's good. And he has children and they have children and things continue to spiral out of control. And about 2000 BC, in modern day Iraq, God shows up to a man named Abram, who is a idolater and says, I want you to leave. I want you to go to this place a couple thousand miles away, right? You've never been there, but here's the thing. I'm going to bless you and I'm gonna bless those who bless you and I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And here's the big promise. In you, and your family, all the nations of the world, every single nation will be blessed. There's your second promise of us coming Messiah. The only problem is Abraham is 75 and he has no kids. But even God meant that for good. So he believes God and God reckons it to him as righteousness and he takes off for what is now known as Israel. But the problem is God's promise wasn't immediate and several years later, he's just getting older. He's 80, his wife's 70. He's 85, his wife's 75. There's still no kids, so they make a little mistake and she gives her husband, Sarah gives her husband, Abraham, her maidservant, and he has a child with her. His name is Ishmael. And it's a, kind of a big mistake because Ishmael and Israel have been fighting ever since, the Arabs and the Jews. That's what happened when you try to go around and, and make God's will happen your way. <laughs> 
And, and Abraham loves Ishmael and says, God, bless Ishmael, bless Ishmael, make Ishmael to be your promise. He says, no, 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 not Ishmael. I'm going to bless him, but the promise is coming through the one who is not born yet. And so eventually, 25 years later, Abraham still hasn't had that promised child. Sarah still hasn't had that promised child. He's 99, she's 89. Two men show up one day at their tent. They turn out to be angels, they don't know that, but they say, next year, you're gonna have a son. Congratulations, you're 100, here's your birthday present. Your wife's 90, here's her birthday present. And Sarah's in the tent and she's listening and she hears it and she laughs. She's the original LOL. She laughs out loud. And she's like, that's crazy, whack funky, these guys are crazy. And the angels, because they're angels, say, why is Sarah laughing in the tent? Sarah comes out like, I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh, oh, you laughed. And because you laugh, we're gonna call your son Yitzhak which means he laughs, it's Isaac, is how we anglicize it, right? And so a year later, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, here's Isaac, the promised child, the one the Messiah would come through eventually. Miracle child. And then there's another challenge when Isaac's 18, 19 years old where God shows up and says, I want you to take Isaac on top of that mountain, the very same mountain, by the way, a couple thousand years later, someone else is gonna be put on a mountain. And I want you to kill your son, the son you love. And Abraham takes his son, and as he's about to plunge the sword into his heart, God stops him and says, no, I'm gonna provide another. Here's a ram. I'm gonna save your son. Again, a picture of what would happen, except with the father would not stop the knife on Mount Calvary, because God's telling a story about what he's doing. And so Isaac turns 40, his mama passes away. He gets himself a wife named Rebecca. She is his cousin, which is fine in their culture and in West Virginia, but not anymore. <laughs> All my West Virginia people are mad now. <laughs> and that's where the story picks up. Isaac is 40, he's married, he's happily married. Abraham is actually still alive. Sarah is not. Um, and we pick up in verse 19. So let me read our first two verses. That's the story of what's going on. That's where we're at. Verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Arminian of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Arminian, to be his wife. And so things are good. Things are happy. Happily married. But then, the unexpected, the ACL, that thing you never saw, that thing you never wanted, that thing you would never have dreamed, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Why? Because she was barren. There's a lot of pain and a lot of struggle, a lot of heartache in that little verse, right? And we find out a few verses later, she's actually barren for 20 years. She's infertile for 20 years. And Abraham is still alive at this point. And so you gotta be thinking, this promise that God made to Abraham that he's gonna be the father of many nations and all these kids are gonna come and as many as the sands of the sea, you gotta be thinking, it's been 25 years for Abraham when he got that, and now 20 for Isaac. 50 years, there's not a lot of movement here. God, you're a little slow, right? But it's meant for good. Because what's gonna happen is, this is going to be a people, a nation, that you have to look back and say, there is no way this nation should even exist if God does not show up. It's a miracle child at 100, and then another miracle child at 60, and, and it's, a, it's a foretelling 
of a, of a people that one day would have a natural birth, but they would need a supernatural birth that God would have to do. And there's no way you can be part of his family unless he shows up. That's what he's crafting his narrative. He's showing you what he's going to do. And so Jacob prays. I mean, Isaac prays. And I love that he prays. And what I love even more is that God answers. Isn't that a, I mean, isn't that, that's a simple verse. Isaac prayed, the Lord granted. Isn't that great? And this is not some little ask. This is not traveling mercies, bless my food, help me get an A on the test. This is take something that is scientifically impossible, that is dead, make dry bones speak. That's what this is, right? And God does it, right? He does it. It's the thing no one was thinking would happen. No way Nick Foles wins that game. No way. You know, and probably people in the clan were saying, well, it happened with Abraham once. It's not going to happen again. Lightning does not strike twice in the same place. There's gotta be that thought, but Isaac prays. How long? We don't know. 10 years, five years, 10 weeks? Doesn't say. It just says he prayed and God answered. Here's what I want us to think about. Do you believe that God does big things like this anymore? I mean, I know, I think we say that. I think I say, yeah, oh, absolutely. I believe that. I don't know if I do sometimes. Isaac did. He prayed. And remember, Isaac's living in a time, do you know how much Bible Isaac had at this time? Zero, because it was not gonna be written for another couple hundred years. Moses is not coming for several hundred years. So he doesn't have a quiet time. He doesn't have our daily bread. He's got one promise from God. I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna be the father of many nations. That's the only thing he's got from God. And he believes in a big God. I think this is a great time of year to think about this, y'all. It's 2020. New year, new opportunities. What's something that you could pray this year that if it happened, it would be God did that? That you could, I mean, it would be no other explanation. God did that. Right? And, and, and I'm not saying he's gonna, I'm not health and wealthing here. I'm not saying win the lottery. If you win the lottery, just make sure you pay off my mortgage. That's great. Um, but, um, but what could we ask this year that God would do big? I think when we ask God big things, it honors him because it shows him that we believe it. I'm not saying he's gonna do everything we ask. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying I think it delights God when we ask and believe that big things could happen. Maybe it's for a relationship to be restored that you haven't talked to your mom in 20 years. But it would be a miracle if she would call me or if I would call her. Maybe you could pray that. Or that a prodigal would come home. Or that your business, which is about to be bankrupt, will be turned around and be profitable. Right? Or that, that, this, that your anxiety would be removed that you've been struggling with for 15 years. Or that that cancer, which is stage four and doesn't look good, would, would disappear, would be healed, whether through chemo or just miracle by God. What could we pray that we would be like that as big? I think we should start doing that. I, th I think we should start expecting it. And I think it would honor God. And I think we should be reminded for some of us who have been praying big things and haven't seen it, that God does not ignore the prayers of his children. Doesn't mean he gives them everything they want, but he hears it. You don't think he heard Isaac? He heard him. He does. And God is close to the broken heart. It's a great reminder. Just two little things. Not the point of the passage, but important. So Rebecca conceives and she's never been pregnant before, but she realizes pretty quick that something's wrong. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to me? She's like, something ain't right. 
Something is not right. There's some struggling going on. Remember, they don't have ultrasounds in this day. So we get a little piece of information that she didn't know yet. The children, that's, that's plural. She thinks, I'm pregnant. She don't know there's two in there. And what she doesn't realize is these two children, the word that struggled, it's, it's, it's a Hebrew word that means violence. They have WWF, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan going on inside the womb right now. And they are duking it out. They can't move their arms much. They're like, you know, you know, they are fighting in the womb. And it's tearing her up. So much so that she asks God, God, what is going on? And God answers and he says, there's two nations in your womb. Two peoples within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. She says, you're caught up in something that's bigger than just a baby. There are actually two nations. Remember, Father of many nations, right? And, and they're gonna be divided. They are going to be rivals from day one. The bunk beds will be rocking. All right, they are gonna be fighting. And one will be stronger than the other. That's pretty normal, right? Someone's gonna be stronger. But here's what's not normal about this text. This is where it gets flipped upside down. That the older shall serve the younger. That is completely countercultural for their society. The older is the boss no matter what. He's in charge. He's the one that gets all, all the, the money and, and the power and the wealth and everything. And so he, God's saying, there's gonna be division. There's gonna be two nations. But the younger is going to serve the older, and this, this is the Nick Foles is going to win it all, not the MVP. I, don't, I didn't see that coming. I didn't, I didn't expect that. And this is where we just get a piece, of, a little insight that God's economy is not ours, right? And we see that. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. We don't get that. You wanna be great? You gotta be a servant. You wanna be exalted? You gotta be humble. Apostle Paul says that God chooses what is foolish to shame the wise. He chooses the weak to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised, even the things that are not to bring things that are. That's why when we celebrate Christmas, we think about a baby born of a, to a 13, 14 year old, nobody from nowhere, from no region, who actually is the master of the universe. That's a complete unexpected twist. Didn't see that coming. This is why the cross which is a Roman instrument of, of uh, pain and suffering and death, and, and an innocent man put on a cross, it seems ludicrous. It seems like folly, but it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It's the vehicle of life. This is, what, this is, this is meant for good. I wouldn't have chose it. I wouldn't choose the younger to serve. Uh, the older to serve, but that's, that's the way it is. And so that's where this book is going. And so it's time for her to give birth. They're completed and behold, and the Hebrew writer's trying to bring you in like, ah, oh, look, see, what you already knew, twins in the womb. And I love this. This is, just, this is why the Bible is funny. You gotta see the humor in the Bible. All right, if you're all like, no, the Bible's not funny, you're in the wrong church because the Bible's funny sometimes. Sometimes it's serious. This is irony. The first came out all red and his body like a hairy cloak so they called him Esau. This is the child that never made it to Facebook. Okay. This one, you had a kid? Yeah, we just didn't get any pictures. Right? Because ugly red hairy, that's what he was. And they called him Esau, which sounds like hairy. His name is later going to be changed to Edom, which means red. Okay. And, and afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, Jacob, which means he grabs him by the heel or trips him up or cheater or surplanter. 
They got to pick better names for these kids. These are not encouraging names. And Isaac was 60 when he, when she bore him. So he's 60. He's grandpa age, but that, that's the idea. The point here is that Esau was the firstborn, and we know that Jacob, the one who came behind, he is going to be the one who is stronger. Um, and then not only were these boys different looking, they are completely different personalities. The boys grew up, Esau's a hunter. He's a man of the field. He's, he's the guy that get, you drop him into the wilderness and he has his own TV show, how he eats worms and he you know, cooks with mushrooms and he survives and he, he's, a, he's skillful. He's a good hunter. Like some of you guys, you love hunting. Don't love hunting. That's why God created Publix. I don't need to hunt, I go to Publix. You hunt, I go to Publix, right? But this is him. He's skillful hunter guy, rough, rugged, blue collar, hairy outdoorsman. And his brother, Jacob, is quiet. He's on the computer. He's investing in Amazon. He's writing over here. He's helping with the dishes. He dwells in the house. And it's not making a condemnation like one's better than the other. It's just showing you they are way different, y'all. Way, way different. But if you had to choose, not knowing anything, which one's gonna be stronger? I'm choosing, choosing, you know, the crocodile hunter over here. He's the strong one. He's the one I want leading the clan. He's gonna provide us for food. I don't need investments. I need food. I don't need pencil sharpeners. I need bows and arrows. But that's not the one God chooses. God chooses Jacob. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's what Romans highlights the Old Testament shows this is God's choice over here. It's not the one his dad chooses, by the way. His dad chooses Esau. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau. Why? That's my boy, captain of football team, kills big deer. Just look at him over there. Look at those biceps. Urgh, man's man. He loves the older. But Rebecca loves Jacob. Why? because he was inside, because he had good skin. I don't know. He does have good skin. I'm not making that up. You'll see in a few weeks. He's got smooth skin. It says it. So it's, it's biblical. Whatever reason, you got a dad who loves one son, you got a mom who loves the other son. That's a train wreck waiting to happen. We'll see, right? But, but dad makes a choice. I want the older. And that sets up some tension for what happens next. Here we go. Here's, here's kind of life in the, uh, in the house of the of the. Isaac family, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, he was exhausted. So he's off hunting, he's off you know, getting animals, he's off providing for the family. He comes in, he's tired, and Jacob's waiting. And don't think for a moment this is not part of the plan because he is way too quick with his statements you'll see in a few minutes. He's cooking right when he knows all Esau's been working all day and he's cooked up his favorite food and he's just waiting, he knows he's gonna be hangry. He's hungry, he's tired. He's like a teenager at 11 at night. Even if they're eating at six, they gotta go to Taco Bell because they are hungry. And you just send them out and say, go get you a you know, number seven, whatever. Right, that's, that's Esau. So he comes in and Esau says, let me have some of that red stew. It's just, I mean, it's, it's purposely in the Hebrew, which my Hebrew's not great, but you can pick it up. It's funny because give me some of the red is what he says. Because remember, he's red. And so give me red. And he's like, I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Red, right? That's the idea. So it's just, I mean, even, even Moses is laughing as he's writing this. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright. This is where we know he's been scheming because he is way too quick on this. 
He's like, he's already prepared. He knows his brother. He knows he's gonna be hungry. He knows he's impatient. He knows he's impulsive. So he says, sell me your birthright. Now, birthright for us, if you're new to the Bible or even just, you know, live in America, you have no clue what that is. But in this culture, the birthright was huge. It was sacred. Basically, that meant whoever had the birthright was taking Isaac's place when Isaac's gone. You're the president. You're the boss. Not only do you get a devil portion of the inheritance, you are the general. You're the military guy. You are the spiritual leader of the whole clan. And this clan is big. It's getting bigger. They got servants and, and sheep and oxen and they got land and wells. And so you are in charge physically. You are in charge spiritually. But bigger than that even is because of who this is. The promise of Yahweh is upon you. The blessing of God. Remember that promise? I'm gonna bless you. Whoever blesses you, I'm gonna bless you. Whoever curses you, I'm gonna curse. That blessing You're a walking blessing. Whoever this is, is a walking blessing. And so he's been thinking about this. He's like, man, if I could have just gotten him before, I had his heel. So he's he's been working at it since then. And here's the irony of the story. Who's the good hunter? Esau's the good hunter. But he's being hunted and he doesn't even know it. He is right now the prey. And the hunter, the schemer, that I'm gonna trip you from behind where you don't see me, is about to lay his trap. So he says, sell me your birthright now. Right now, right now. Right, God, be now. And Esau says, I'm about to die. This is very teenager. I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. What use is a birthright if I'm dead tomorrow? It's super exaggerated, right? Because he's gonna eat a bowl of soup and then like, unless it's like magical chunky soup, he's, all, he's restored and like right now. So he's being dramatic, but it just shows the kind of person he is. He's very, what the writer to Hebrews says, he's very immoral. And it goes to this very passage to say he's immoral because he sold his birthright for some chunky soup. And it says he came back and wanted to make that decision, change that decision, and it was too late. But that's the idea. He's impulsive. I'm about to die, fine. So Jacob makes sure he get it on paper. You gotta get the lawyers out, right? Swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright. Sign here, 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 initial here, 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 date, here, here, good. Sold. Birthright for chunky soup. And Jacob gave him bread and lentil stew. He ate it, he drank, and he rose, he went his way, and then Esau hated it. It just shows that he had contempt for the, the blessing of God, for that which was sacred, this huge blessing, to be a blessing, to lead, he didn't care about it. Chunky soup. And he storms off. Right, which is going to set up the next couple weeks of the tension that we're gonna see in this family. It's gonna get violent before it gets better. It does get better, but it takes a while. And that's, that's the opening for this family. God's family, isn't it great? This is, these are the patriarchs of Israel. And the father, you know, when, when Jesus was talking, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this is your clan, aren't they nice? All right, let me give you four takeaways quickly and then we'll worship. Two of them have really, they're from the text, but they're not the point of the text, and two of them are. This is where the Dallas Seminary guys would yell at me. But I, I think they're worth reminding again. The first one is, that we talked about it already, the prayer piece. God delights in the prayers of his people. And God delights in the prayer of his people when we pray together. Right, when we pray together. That's why we're having a night of prayer and worship. Right, it's, it's, it's not gonna be seven hours, but we're just gonna get together because there's so many needs. What I've seen, what I'm thankful for as you as a church, when we've planted this church, people played it close to the vest, man. 
They did not tell anybody anything. You thought they were the fourth member of the Trinity. Their life was going so well. But what I appreciate about y'all is you're much more transparent. You're, you're asking for help. You're asking for prayer. We have so many people in our church that are struggling. You do not even know. I'm just telling you. I am blown away by the number of people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, with marriage, with kids, with finances, with direction, with I don't know what I wanna do. I, I, it's, it's just, it's almost overwhelming. And so we wanna pray for those things as a body. We're gonna do that. And we wanna pray that God would do big things through CBC and through other churches and just expect big things, right? I don't know what that is, but we wanna pray for it. And we wanna sing. Uh, and so uh, if, you, if, if you're able, we'd love for you to join us in that, right? And even if you're able to, to maybe at lunch that day, instead of going to Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell, just kind of skip lunch and, and pray for that night because it's, it could be a special night for us. We pray every year, pray for our students, pray for our college students, pray for young couples, pray for older couples, just want to pray together, right? And so that's what we're gonna do. But the big thing is this, pray with faith. Maybe write down a couple things you're gonna pray this week I'm gonna pray this for my kids. I'm gonna pray this for my spouse. I'm gonna pray this for my church. I'm gonna pray this for whatever. And just big things, man, dream. Dream that God would answer big things. And then share it with somebody when he does because I wanna hear the stories because it's encouraging to me. It's pray for, I know know this is in in a conservative church, pray for miracles. Right, we don't, right, pray for it. If God would do that. Whatever that is, I think that's big. There's a prayer piece, there's also a parenting piece, right? Not the point of the text, but I think this is a reminder. And I, and I listened to a couple sermons and read a bunch this week about this. Uh, and one, I like how one uh, pastor t- talked about this. He called it the dangers of unmanaged favoritism, right? I don't think any parent is intentionally plays favorites because we love them all the same, right? We love them all the same. Right? And I think that's probably true. But I think there are times, let's be honest, if you have more than one kid, there are times when it's easier to connect with this child or this child or that child because of season, because of interest, because of whatever. This, is, this child's an artist and I'm an artist and so I'm gonna connect. Or this child's an athlete and I'm an athlete. Or this child's a boy and I'm a boy. Whatever. And, and I think that if we stop playing like that doesn't happen and acknowledge that sometimes it does, that's the starting point. The second thing is this. It, the goal is not to treat everyone the same. You know why? Because none of your kids are the same. They're just not. They're not wired the same. They don't motivated by the same. They don't have the same interests. They don't have the same taste. They don't have, and if you treat, I'm just going to treat them the same. That's going to be super beneficial for this one and crush this one. Discipline. We're just going to discipline them all the same. Only a parent with one kid says that. Because there's some children you can you know put them in the corner or give them a timeout and they love it. They're like, bring me timeouts. I love it. Right? I mean, you can do whatever, and they're just like, you got another kid, you just look at them with a crooked eye and they weep. I don't even have to put them in timeout. I actually end up blessing that kid. I'm like, here's some money. I feel bad for you now. (laughs) So the point is this. We shouldn't be treating them the same. We should be treating them reasonable and equitable. That's That's the idea, right? So what is best in this situation for this child? And that requires you to be with your kids and to know your kids and to talk with your kids and to own the fact that you messed up with this kid and not that kid, right? And it's, nobody's perfect in it. I think it's just helpful to know that we do this and we need to be on guard. And this is why I think you should be, I'm fine with parenting books, but I'm not a huge fan of all parenting books because a lot of parenting books are one size fits all. Do this, do this, do this, perfect kid, wrong, right? 
There's no perfect kid and there's no perfect strategy. I think there's principles we can apply, knowing your kids, knowing what the Bible says, trialing, failing, and all those things. But I think, uh, I don't know if that even helps you at all, but it helps me. All right, here's the word, more where this point of this text is about. Uh, Don't trade down. Here's what I mean by that. Don't make a bad trade. The worst trade maybe ever. Any Boston Red Sox fans in here? Got like three of you? Yeah, good. I can make fun of you. There's one. All right, good. Worst trade of all time, 1919, the owner of the Boston Red Sox trades for $100,000 to his rival team, the New York Yankees, a man named George Herman. George Herman, a.k.a. Babe Ruth. Up to that point, the Red Sox had won like four titles, super successful franchise. They trade away the Babe. They don't win a World Series for 80-something years. It's called the curse of the Bambino. It's true. It is a true curse. It was. Right, um, he also got himself a nice candy bar, four World Series, and was the greatest hitter maybe of all time. Horrible trade, and the rumors were that the owner of the Boston Red Sox traded him away because he was short on cash because one of his shows on Broadway that he supported had failed, and so he just needed cash for his next show. He traded the, maybe the greatest baseball player of all time away so that he could have his little Broadway show that didn't end up making money anyway. That's a bad trade. Very temporal thinking. Esau made a bad trade. A a bowl of Campbell's chicken soup that filled him up for a moment, but in the end, he threw away what God was doing in his life and God's blessing. And I think what I think we should do, and I don't have anybody in mind, I'm not thinking, I think we should ask ourselves when we come to a text like this, where am I making a bad trade? Or am I? Where am I choosing the, the quick fix the temporal comfort over what God may be doing in my life. The long-term blessing, what God has called me to. So for instance, let me, give you, let me give you a personal. When I lose my temper with my kids or with my wife and I lash out and I say this and that and this because I may have had hurt feelings or I may have been misunderstood or maybe I'm just tired, whatever. I have made a very poor trade for being husband and father just so I can get my two cents in. That's a bad trade. And we do it all the time. We do it with our time, I think. We're so busy, 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 busy. I'm so busy. What do we say to people? We're proud of how busy we are. Oh, yeah, how you doing? I'm busy. How you doing? I'm busy. I'm busy. Good. Yeah. How's your time with the Lord? Oh, I'm so busy. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't even read my Bible in like three months. I haven't any time for prayer. You, you, and I'm, I'm, I'm not truck. I got four kids. I get busy. But I can tell you this. You want to see how busy you are and if you have any time to, to spend five minutes in the Word or read Our Daily Bread or, or whatever, check your screen time on your phone today. Just check it. Check it already. I bet it's over an hour for some of y'all. And you've been in church for three hours. I'm not saying don't be on your phone and I'm not saying don't like everyone's like, 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 smiley face, laugh, like, like. I'm not saying that's bad. But I am saying we talk about busyness a lot but we'll have four and a half hours of screen time on our phone a day. You couldn't give 17 minutes to Jesus, the king of the world? I think it's a bad trade sometimes. I think money, we bad trade. We always buy me, 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 me. We never give, 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 give. We're never generous. We never save. We never this. We can't afford it, but that's okay. I'm gonna do it because it makes me feel good. I'm gonna have some shop therapy. I'm gonna get on Amazon at 10 at night because my boyfriend just broke up with me and I love that blouse. It'll make me feel better for a day. And I'm not against the blouse. I just think that we, if we dwell on materialism, we, we don't dwell on the presence of God in our lives and how much he loves us. 
I think some of you young folks, and I'm, I'm speaking as your pastor here, so just hear me out. I think you are making some bad choices with your physical relationships. Some friends with benefits from shacking up with your girlfriend, from staying over on Friday night, from living together before you're married. For a temporal, quick comfort, you are sacrificing the call of your life, which is purity and holiness. And I think you'll be like Esau one day and you'll regret it if you don't make that choice now. It's just, it's a quick one. I know it's a heavy one, it's a quick one. Being liked and accepted, right? We'll do anything to be liked and accepted and not be alone. No one wants to be ignored. No one likes to be alone all the time, right? Sometimes being alone, young folks, let me hear, let me, hear me out. Sometimes being alone is actually a good thing. Not forever, but for a little bit. Because it forces you to get alone with God and see your acceptance and your significance in something more than just hanging out. It's actually good. Not forever. We need community. We're created for community. But I think we make a, a choice to always hang out, even if it means hanging out with the wrong people, even if it means lying, even if it means exaggerating, even if it means filtering my whole life through this. And not, and not just coming to the fact that God loves you and, and in Christ you are accepted and in Christ you are loved and in Christ you are full. It's a bad choice. It's a bad trade. So there's all sorts of bad trades and, and we all do it. So I think it would be helpful if maybe tomorrow, uh, afternoon, morning, tonight, you just take five minutes and say, and just think, where am I making a bad trade? Am I? Maybe you're not. Where am I choosing temporary comfort over God's call in my life? And ask him, Look, the spirit of God lives in you if you're a believer. Ask him. He'll tell you. I promise. He's not gonna be like, no, I'm not telling you that. It's too deep for you. He wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants to bring you joy. He wants you to be complete, right? So that's, I think it's, it's helpful for us to say, where are we making the trade and not trade down? Don't be the Babe Ruth trade. And then the last one, and, and here's a good trade. Let me read you a verse of a good trade. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field it's a man found and covered up, and his joy he sells all that he has. You think, that's a bad trade, he sold all he has. No, because the treasure is worth more. And so we gotta see and treasure Jesus for who he is. That's, that's the point. And then the last thing, and I think this is, a, this is where we'll close and we'll worship. And it's just back to the title, meant for good. All this stuff... Do you, you understand that God had prophesied, remember, that the younger would serve the older? He didn't say how it was gonna happen. That was theirs to figure out and to do, but he uses a train wreck of a family situation to ultimately bring about your redemption. And Jacob, and if you think about it, these guys, Esau's a knucklehead. Jacob's no better. It's not like Jacob's the good guy, so God loved Jacob. And, and no, Jacob's a mess. He's worse, and he's gonna get worse. He's gonna, he's gonna do a lot worse things. But here's the thing, we're blown away by the fact that God exalts Jacob. How could God choose and love Jacob? How could God exalt Jacob? It is a great question. Here's another one. How could God exalt and love Bill Fowler? Because I'm no less of a train wreck than Jacob. And that is the beauty of the sovereignty and the sovereign election of God himself. Because if, if God does not choose me, in the words of Spurgeon, I would never have chosen him. Never. Right? Because none who seek after God, there's none who love God. So praise God for the fact that he exalts the lowly, right? And here's the big, the big point is this. If God can take train wrecks that, of, of bad decisions and bad choices and messes that we would never choose and ACLs blown, and, and if he can do that and bring about Messiah, despite them, what situation in your life can he not change for good?
Even though I know some of you are in the middle, you're like, I would never want this at all. I, this is horrible. Yes, but the promise of Romans 8, and it's not flippant, it is true. For those who love God, all things work together. God is working and he's meaning it for your good and for his glory. And it may not feel like that, but you gotta hold on. And you gotta believe in the goodness and sovereignty of God Almighty. He is good. He's not just nice. He's not just a nice God. He's a good God. He, he delights in his children. And, and sometimes there's things that he allows and brings because like Job, let's just see where your heart is. And the response like Job is you give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The, if you are in the valley of the shadow of death, you know one of the best things you can do, it's not the easiest, but it's the best, is you can just worship. You can, God, blessed, you gave and you took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That, that's, that's where we're going. Like, but I want you to see that God is good and he has a plan. He has a plan for your life and it may not be the way you thought, but it is for your good because he is a good God. And that's what we wanna see. That's what we wanna be encouraged with. We wanna pray to that God. We wanna expect big things from that God and we wanna know that God. And so I pray that that'll be the case over the next six months as we see him work despite the failures of people and the bad choices and bad choices of other people on good people and all sorts of things. So, and if you, look, if you need prayer this morning, I know a bunch of you probably do. We have a prayer team in the back. Would love for you to get prayed over by some of those folks, to share a prayer request that the prayer team can pray that during the week. Um, there's people that do that. So that's there for you. Um, and, and just know that you are loved by God uh, and that he hears your prayers and he is close and he is near. Why don't you stand? We're gonna just respond in worship. One of the things we do is we give you some time to think and respond. And so before you hurry out, I know you got places to be and barns are smelling good, just sit in the goodness of God and his love for you for just a few minutes. Respond, let him speak to you uh, and, and sing to him and use the breath in your lungs to, to tell him uh, that you love him. Let me pray and we'll sing. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and that all things work together for good for those who love you. I pray that we would love you even when it's hard and that you would just use these, these great narratives of these, these ups and downs of these men and women to encourage us in the middle of our ups and downs. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.